You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Redeemer family. You can be seated. My name is Chris Maloney. I serve as one of the elders here. It's uh, truly a privilege to, to have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. We are fortunate to have faithful men in, in Jordan and Rick and Josh who teach and preach God's word so well week after week. If, if you just started coming in the last few months, you may best recognize me as the guy who's been hobbling up to the stage uh, trying to get to the keyboard. Uh, just recently got off crutches and maybe you've like, oh man, I hope he makes it uh, up and down the stairs. Uh, I don't want to get overconfident. I still got a little ways to go before I'm fully recovered, but so far 100% success rate getting up and down the stairs so far. But uh, I'll spare you the story and all the details other than to say this past summer I was, I was out in Guatemala jumping off a dock into the Bay of Honduras and broke and dislocated my foot and uh, has not been fun. But thank you guys for how you've loved on me as family, how you've loved on my family. And uh, speaking of family, this is the time of year that many of our calendars are filled with family activities and spending time together. And uh, we're well into the holiday season. Christmas is fast approaching. And if your family is like mine, you probably have these things, these little sayings that you have just with family. I I have one brother, Nathan, and uh, we talk on the phone pretty regularly. Most often talk about Longhorn football, hook them. We're uh, hoping for college football playoff berth today. But uh, we, we talk on the phone regularly. And when I, when I call Nathan, he'll answer the phone, brother. That's how he answers. And uh, I usually respond, hey, bubby. And he'll laugh. Nathan's, he's a pretty straight-laced guy. But he laughs when I call him bubby because I've been calling him bubby since we were little kids. And he knows I'm just, I'm just messing with him. And uh, I tell you that story because there's only one person in the world that answers the phone brother when I call. And there's certainly probably only one person that calls Nathan Bubby, and that's, that's me. But uh, I'm sure there's things like that you have with your family, uh, these small things we do that, that remind us of our identity and our belonging. This morning, we're in week two of our Advent series, and we're going to look at the story of the family of Jesus, specifically the earthly parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Last week, Pastor Rick kicked off our Advent series, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth from Luke 1. And in that story, the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah to tell him that he and his wife Elizabeth, though well beyond the years of being able to have children, are going to have a son. And this son would be a prophet who would prepare the way for Jesus, John the Baptist. And in that story, we saw the necessity of Jesus. Today, through the story of Mary and Joseph in Matthew 1 and Luke 1, we learn two things. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. You can write it in your phone. Uh, We'll learn something about Jesus that is critical. We see the nature of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. He's both divine and human, fully God and fully man. That's the claim of the Bible. It's not only miraculous, but the nature of Jesus is critically important to the gospel having any power in the world. And secondly, within the story of Mary and Joseph, we learn something about us, something about our human condition, that our hearts are slow to believe or quick to doubt God's promises, but his promises can be trusted. 
And I hope through the story today that we see how Mary and Joseph, they move past initial doubt and fear to respond in faith to God's plan and promise. And as we reflect on this, my hope is that our faith would be unwavering, that Jesus is who Scripture tells us he is, born of the Virgin Mary, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as the long-awaited Savior, fully God and fully man, the perfect and sinless prophet, priest, and king for Israel, the one who would become the sacrificial lamb, providing atonement for our sins and the only name by which we can be saved, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. What we believe about the nature of Jesus as fully divine and fully human impacts everything. Let's pray and and then jump into the story. God the Father, we, we thank you for your word. The word became flesh, your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our ears this morning, our hearts. Let us rightly see Jesus, for who he is, let us turn to you in faith today through your word. So to uh, understand the, let's understand the context in which Mary and Joseph live. They're everyday people living in real time in history. As Israelites, they were people of God's promise. In his book, The Drama of Scripture, Michael Goheen says that we cannot grasp the meaning of the story of Jesus until we begin to see that it's in fact the climactic episode of the great story of the Bible, the chronicling of God's work in human history. He categorizes that unfolding drama within Scripture in six acts or movements, creation, sin, Israel, Christ, church, and new creation. Oh, and there's this little interlude in between Act 3, Israel, and Act 4, Christ, that lasts 400 years. 400 years where God has been silent to his people. He hasn't sent a prophet with a message. We don't have record of an angel coming with a message. He hasn't come in a burning bush. Silence. So what's been, what's been happening in these 400 years as the people anxiously await the promised Savior? Hang with me for just a few minutes. We're going to take a flyover history of that period of time, the the intertestamental period of what's been happening, because I think it sets up our story well for Mary and Joseph. When the Old Testament comes to a close, the people of Israel are living in relative peace under the rule of the Persians. They've allowed the Jews to return home from exile so they could worship in Jerusalem. At this point in time, the Israels had lived under the rule and care of God for over 2,000 years back to the time of Abraham. There were five important beliefs that shaped Jewish life during this period of time. One, they believed in one God, Yahweh. Secondly, they believed that God had chosen Israel for a special purpose, that God had promised that through Abraham's descendants would come a great nation, and through that nation, all nations would have the opportunity to receive God's blessing. Third, they believe that God had given Israel the law, the Torah, as instruction for how to live as God's holy people. Fourth, they believe the land God had brought them to was holy, and God intended them to serve and worship him at the temple in Jerusalem. And fifth, they had hope for a future redemptive act of God, a coming Messiah and King. Now, those beliefs were certainly tested 
during those 400 years. They remained under the rule of foreign powers with continual pressure to conform to pagan culture. Alexander the Great's armies conquered Palestine in 331 BC, which meant he now controlled Palestine and ruled over the people of Israel. Greek culture now begins to infiltrate Israel's culture so much so that scholars translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. So Israel's fighting to keep their identity as God's chosen people while they face continuing pressure to conform to culture. Quick aside, you can fast forward and the New Testament, the entire New Testament was written in the Greek language. So Alexander the Great dies in 323 BC. He's 33 years old, dies young, no heir. His massive empire is divided among his four generals. Two of those generals ruled in the land that had been promised to God's people. But Ptolemy and his successors ruled from Egypt. They controlled Palestine for over a century. Seleucus became ruler of an empire in what is today, what is modern-day Turkey and Iraq. Fast forward to 198 BC, the Seleucid ruler Antiochus III gains control of Palestine, and when his son comes to power in 175 BC, the Jewish people entered one of the most difficult periods of suffering they had ever faced. Antiochus IV, he outlawed Jewish religious practices, circumcision, the observance of the Sabbath, temple sacrifice, and so on. Any Jew found engaging in these practices would be punished up to the point of death. Copies of the Torah, the scripture, were burned. And in 167 BC, Antiochus desecrated the Jewish temple by setting up an altar to the Greek god Zeus and offering up a pig, the animal considered most unclean in Jewish law, as a sacrifice. The Jews were so outraged and grieved by this act that they revolted. It was called the Maccabean Revolt. They fought the Seleucid army. They cleansed and rededicated the temple in 164 AD. And this is actually what the Jewish feast Hanukkah celebrates. And by 142 BC, the Seleucid rule had been removed from Israel, and Israel rules themselves for the next 80 years. All the while, since Alexander the Great has died, Rome is rising in power. Rome is becoming a dominant military and political force. In 63 BC, under Pompey, they occupy Rome. In 40 BC, Herod is named king of the Jews and rules from Jerusalem. The Romans ruled by force and fear, taxed their subjects heavily, forced their culture onto Jewish people, and punished severely anyone who opposed them, even crucifying those who would uprise against Roman rule. So as the, as the New Testament begins, the people of God are under oppressive foreign rule, full of longing and hope for God's rescue, but I'm also sure they're full of fear and doubt after 400 years of silence and unrest. Some probably questioned if they should still believe the promises of God. Some probably questioned if they believed what they heard from their ancestors and, and what they read in the scriptures about the coming Messiah. And now enter Mary and Joseph. Matthew and Luke make sure we know their stories. The Matthew account's going to focus more on Joseph's family, his family line. Luke's going to focus more on Mary and her family line. So what, what do we know about Mary? Well, we know she was a relative of Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. In Luke 1.5, it's noted that Elizabeth was from the line of the priest Aaron, so Mary would have also been from that priestly line. The name Mary was very common in that time, so it clues us in that though she comes from this 
great line, this priestly family. She was just a common, ordinary girl living in a small village called Nazareth. Mary was most likely a young teenager at the time. She was engaged to Joseph. During this time, girls were typically given away to be engaged at 12 years old, uh, engaged for about a year, and married at 13 years old. Another thing we know about Mary is songs have been written about her. One of the most famous ones and a song that has sparked much theological debate, can you guess the song I'm about to mention? Mary, did you know? Yes, Mary, did you know? And in the song, Mary, did you know? The song asks a series of questions. Mary, did you know blank? That your baby boy would one day rule the nations, that your baby boy would walk on water, that he would save our sons and daughters. And people get really fired up about this song, wanting to make sure that that Mary knew she was having Jesus. And I think Mary knew because we'll see that uh, Gabriel told her she was having Jesus. But besides all that, I can appreciate Mark Lowry's artistic endeavor to tell the story in a unique way through the song. It's around 40 years later, so joke's on us, right? Uh, Lastly, we'll see that Mary is an example of faith and trust in God's will. What we know about Joseph. Joseph was from the line of King David, that Matthew traces all the way back to Abraham. Matthew 119 in the ESV calls Joseph a just man. The NIV says faithful to the law. Other translations say righteous. Just like Mary, Joseph was a very common name, which again highlights the fact that Mary and Joseph weren't part of some ruling class living in wealth and power. They come from a great line of God's people, but just ordinary individuals that he chooses to use in his story. I was surprised to find there's songs written about Joseph. I, I had no idea. Uh, there, when I searched on Google, the top two that came up were I Am a Carpenter, Joseph's Song by Cher and Jean Klossner, and Oh, How Tender Was the Man by Michael Milton. So you can look those up and listen to them later if you'd like. There are some songs out there about Joseph. The last fact about Joseph I'll mention is, is we don't see him mentioned in Scripture during Jesus' adulthood, so most biblical scholars would agree that he passed away at an early age. So now we come to the text. Now, now we come to, to Matthew first and then on to Luke. Matthew opens his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. And though it wasn't common at that time for genealogies to name women, Matthew lists five. The last woman he names in the genealogy is Mary. And how he introduces Mary is very important. Let's look in Matthew 1:16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is the offspring of Mary, but he doesn't tie Jesus biologically to Joseph. In the Greek text, a feminine singular relative pronoun is, uh, is used to specify that Mary, not Mary and Joseph, begat or had Jesus. Well, this is a problem, right? Because the Messiah comes through the line of Joseph from King David. And Matthew just traced that line in the genealogy. Matthew will solve this problem for us in verses 21 and 25. But first, we'll look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we see Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. Under Jewish custom of that time, 
the engagement would have been initiated by a contract of marriage and, and therefore would have required legal action to, to break the engagement. Infidelity during engagement certainly would have been grounds for divorce. Joseph, Joseph is mentioned as a just man. I'm sure he felt many feelings, uh, probably some confusion. He probably felt compassion and mercy towards Mary, and he probably also felt uh, obligated to obey the law, which would, re- which would ask him to divorce her because of infidelity and because she had gotten pregnant. I was thinking, I was thinking this week, uh, I was thinking this week trying to put myself in Joseph's shoes, and it's hard, right? I mean, I'm not going to draw a one-to-one comparison here, but I was thinking back to the time that, that Laura and I were engaged. It's 15 years ago this month, and thinking, man, what, uh, what would I have done if Laura and I are engaged, and she comes to me and says, God told me something. God told me that we're going to go live in some remote part of the world right after we get married. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I wish God would have told me that too, because that's different. That's, that's a change of plans there. I wasn't expecting that. Or if you know my wife, you'll appreciate this. She'll be in, in second service to hear this. But what if God, what if God uh, came and told Laura, you know what, Chris? God told me the plan for our life is we're going to move to Chicota, Oklahoma. We're going to move next door to Carrie Underwood and her family, and we're going to become best friends with them and, and do life with them. I was like, oh, is God, God told you that? That's what, that's what God wants for us? And I'm making a lighthearted moment out of that, but what's happening here isn't, isn't a lighthearted moment, but you're, you're trying to think, what, what is going through Joseph's mind? And we don't have all the details, but we know that he had decided the best thing to do was, was to divorce Mary quietly. Well, God does come and speak to Joseph through an angel. And verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." I love how the angel addresses Joseph. Remember what I said about, I call my brother, how he answers the phone? The angel reminds Joseph who he is. Joseph, son of David. It ties back to how Matthew begins his gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Joseph's being reminded he's from the royal line of King David. He's from the royal line the Messiah was prophesied to come from. And then, The angel instructs Joseph to name the child Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. What's what's happening here is very important. Remember, we're, we're talking, we're looking at the nature of Jesus, fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit and not a biological father, miraculously conceived, and therefore Jesus wasn't born into original sin like you and I were, but he was also fully man born of a woman, fully embracing his human nature and given his name by Joseph. The angel telling Joseph to name Jesus symbolized Joseph adopting Jesus as his son, bringing Jesus into Joseph's family and Davidic lineage. On to verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord 
commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7 in verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us. We aren't told exactly how Joseph came to find out Mary's with child. All we know is that he knew she was pregnant. The child was not biologically his, and as Scripture describes him, a just man, he felt the right thing to do was quietly end the engagement. Can you imagine what Joseph must have been feeling before the angel came to visit him? But our Matthew passage ends with Joseph rejecting fear and doubt, responding in faith and obedience to what the angel asked him to do. He took his wife. He stays with Mary. He remained faithful to God's plan, says he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he names the child Jesus. So as we wrap up the Matthew portion of our text, we see back in verse 21, we are reminded that Jesus is fully God, the Savior who will save his people from their sins. I love how we sang about that this morning. In verse 23, we are reminded that he became fully man, Emmanuel, God with us. Now to the Gospel of Luke. We'll start in chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel's on the move. First, he's visited Zechariah in the temple at Jerusalem with news of John the Baptist. Now, he visits Mary to tell her that she will be the mother of the Christ child. Both Matthew and Luke take great care to show us that Mary remained a virgin through the birth of Jesus, and Mary herself asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think there's such beauty and significance in the angel's response, and I don't want us to miss it. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This imagery of overshadow you, it echoes back to, to the Spirit of God in the creation account of Genesis 1. It echoes of the cloud of the glory of God overshadowing the tabernacle in the wilderness. If you remember, I mentioned at this time that, that Greek culture was infiltrating Jewish culture, and so the original readers of this text would know the crude stories of Greek mythology where the Greek gods come together with human women. And, and Luke is making it abundantly clear this is not what is happening. The miraculous virgin birth is God's presence in his sanctuary. We see Mary initially question and possibly even doubt what the angel Gabriel tells her. How will this be? But let's look at how Mary responds. Verse 36 and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I would guess that Mary felt unlikely, unworthy, unequipped for what God was asking her to do. Again, she, she comes from this great line of God's people, but she didn't come from wealth or power. She came from generations suffering under harsh rulers, hoping to keep their promised land, hoping to keep their unique identity as God's chosen people, all the while longing for the promised Messiah. She could have responded any number of ways, but Mary responds in faith. What a beautiful picture that God chooses this unlikely person. She receives God's favor and shows us what it means for anyone to receive Christ. The final verses this morning are verses 46 through 56, Mary's song of praise. It reminds us of the Psalms. It reminds us of Hannah's song of praise for her son Samuel, who would anoint David, king of Israel. Mary's song reminds us of God's mercy to the poor. It reminds us of God's holiness and his power. Let's read Mary's song of praise for Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I hope through the story today you've seen how Mary and Joseph moved past their initial doubts and their fears and they respond in faith to God's plan and his promise. Church, let's not allow doubt or fear or, or worry or unbelief to take residence in our hearts. Let's seek to live faithfully until Christ comes again. The people of God waited centuries for the Messiah. They faced persecution. They struggled, but God sent Jesus. Mary, initially uncertain at what the angel told her, responds in faith. Joseph thought he needed to divorce Mary, but believes what the angel said. They responded in faith and obedience, and they received the Christ. God, in his mercy, offers us the same opportunity. As people awaiting the second advent, the second coming of Christ, we too find ourselves either trusting God's plans and promises for, for our lives and this world, or doubting them. We too find ourselves prone to respond to life's uncertainties with fear rather than faith. I hope that you remember and believe that the promises of God can be trusted. He keeps his promises. He does want what we could never dream or imagine. His ways are good, even when we can't see it in the moment. Second Timothy says that even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. To believe the promises of God, we have to settle what we believe about Jesus. Do you believe the claim of Scripture that he is God incarnate, 
fully God and fully man, coming that he might identify with us in every way, living the perfect, sinless, faith-filled life that we cannot live, dying that he might take our sins, raising that we might step into new life with God. If you believe this is who he is, if you believe this is what he came to do, it changes everything. Who we believe Jesus is impacts everything in our lives. And this Advent, my hope is we remember who he is and we turn to him in faith. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're fearing, whatever you are needing, however you may be hurting, he is God with us. He's with you. God is with you. In just a moment, we will receive Christ together when we go to the communion table as an act of remembrance and proclamation. If if you're not a Christian, we'll have, in the back, we'll have leaders that, that will be happy to pray with you, to talk with you about what it means to receive Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises that can be trusted. We thank you for how Mary and Joseph responded to you in faith. We thank you for the story you were writing that is not yet finished. The story we get to be a part of. I pray this morning our hearts would respond in faith to you. We would remember who Jesus is or maybe understand who Jesus is for the first time in a new way. God with us. God with us. What an incredible truth. Thank you for your word. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.